Welcome to the podcast Rise and Play. I am Sophie Vaux, your podcast host. I bring together leaders, entrepreneurs, fund makers, investors, and educators who are here to make a change in the industry. For a brighter and healthier future of the games we will make, and how we will make them. We're here to start a conversation because listening and asking the hard questions is sometimes enough to inspire change in us, to take the leap to. Let's begin. Today, I am super excited to have as my guest and friend Tatiana Konratieva to talk about her personal journey in gaming, which led her to found recently her own company and game studio. Tatiana comes from Moscow, Russia, where she started with her career in games more than 13 years ago. Games were always her biggest passion, and she made it all the way up from being in QA to her current role of CEO and co-founder at Playpack. She has moved to Germany seven years ago to join Wuga as a product lead, where she got a chance to work on two amazing mobile puzzle games, including maybe Jelly Splash, that some of you may know. And prior to Wuga and Etamax, she's been working at Glue Mobile at the times where mobile free-to-play games were just on a rising trend. So hi, Tatiana. Hi, Sophie. <laughs> Super happy to have you. How are you today? Very good, very warm. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm very, very much excited. <laughs> yeah, I share the feeling of melting down as well <laughs> today in the league. So I have also on my end a very burning question I wanted to start with is Playpack. Where is the name coming from? What's behind? You know, can you share the background? Yeah, absolutely. It's actually a very, very good one. And, you know, it's very difficult to name a company. Mm -hmm. uh, for one, like everything is already taken. So like you have to find a name that somehow reflects what you want to do and uh, also is available for, you know, for registration and so on. So what we're doing at Playpack, you know, the goal of our company is to, of course, build games, but also to build uh, social games. So we wanted something that sounds, uh, you know, playful enough, but also reflects a little bit of those group activities that um, are uh, available for our users. And then uh, what we did was actually really cool. We sat down and together maybe we wrote about 200 names that, uh, you know, like all three, uh, all three of us, like two co-founders. And mm -hmm. then we wrote it for, I think, uh, a few weeks, removing the ones that we didn't like. So we would just wrote one name against the other, one name against the other. Hendrik, that's our CTO, he wrote uh, like a very cool tool for that. And in the end, we were left with something like five names that everyone really liked. And uh, mm -hmm. this one was the one that fit the most, right? So now we're at uh, Playpack. Yeah. How does it feel now? You have settled on a name. So probably a few months already has happened. Uh, no regret? All good? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. So far, so good. We have a logo. We have uh, like a proper company. Mm -hmm. So it, it feels like, uh, you know, things are starting to uh, move forward at a very, very fast pace now. Yeah. It's uh, very tricky to find a name. I, I know the feeling. And until you made a decision, you know, you always ask yourself, what could it be? So I'm always curious of a process, you know, of settling on the name and uh, interesting one as well that you did. So then maybe more on the background as well of your company. I wanted to also understand how you started uh, Playpack. I remember also end of last year, we talked a bit about it and I think a lot happened in between. So can you walk us through like what it was um, and also the thought process for you? What made you really take the leap to start your own company? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think um, at some point I was asked whether I always wanted to be CEO and that was my dream from the beginning to have my own company. And uh, what I said to that is that I wanted to make games. That's what mm -hmm. I really wanted um, for, for a very long time. And that's what I've been luckily doing. I'm super grateful for uh, this opportunity. Uh, but, you know, the more you work, the more you go um, up in your career and progress and see how things are organized, the more understanding I had that I could do things differently, right? And the more also value I saw in the sense of ownership. I think that's what is pushing me a lot personally to have this feeling that, hey, there is something that really uh, is built by my own hands and uh, that I have a lot of impact on. And of course, I'm super lucky also that I'm not alone with this, but I'm together with people I trust. And as for why now, I think it's just the right moment in my life that I'm confident enough that I have enough knowledge to, um, mm -hmm. to do things well. I am professionally in this part of my career where uh, I gathered experience connections and also just an understanding of what i would like to do and of course i was super lucky as i said that there are people who i trust who are also looking to start something and join me on, on this path right and i think really these three factors coming together led to this decision so um yeah the spring we basically settled and uh, started the, the company mm -hmm. and through this process um, because also I, I know you as a friend, like this discussion we have had and, uh, you know, there's the, the talk about it and the, the action of doing it. Maybe to share with the audience here, what also were the fears maybe or things that were holding you back, you know, over the past years that didn't make you start earlier? First, I think the, uh, the, the biggest fear is that um, things go sideways, right? And uh, mm -hmm. it's very challenging to build games it's very challenging to build mobile games and I think there is really this moment when you realize hey I'm confident enough in my own skills that I, I could do that and I think really that that was a big thing for me I wanted to learn all the aspects of uh, you know all the challenges that one can have on the way so when when I started I could do it good right because then i think the most important part of, of uh, building companies of course the team that this company is right you're you're not alone i'm not a one person uh, in this studio we're all together in this and i think what i really wanted is to make things right for people who work with us and know how to do it mm -hmm. yeah and worth mentioning here as well about your co-founders if you could tell us more about them because indeed sure. you also started with other people and you know how how did it go who are who are there what's your shared background yeah that's actually a cool story um the uh, founders i work with uh, that's uh, rafael um, and hendrik um, and mm -hmm. uh, with hendrik he is our CTO. i know him for many years because he was um, the engineering lead in one of the teams that i worked with um, at Ruga on double island 2 specifically and then as both left the company, we still stayed in touch and we went to many conferences together, all, uh, you know, in crazy places. And at some point we jokingly talked about uh, starting something, but as we kind of matured, 
in our in our careers. At some point, we uh, sat down and had the discussion. Or really, we're in the same place. We're both free in our you know in that given point of life that we really really wanted to do it. And also, what we wanted to do was uh, similar. And um, I think it's the most important thing that if you start a company with someone, you have to have this background of uh, trust and uh, very similar interest and alignment on what it is you want to do, because mm-hmm. otherwise everything can get sidetracked and, you know, the, um, the trust is the basis of all uh, productive work going forward. And uh, with Raphael, we actually got together by chance. Because I didn't even know that he was looking for uh, for something at the moment. And uh, as we both uh, are into motorcycling, I, at some point I rode through Norway and he was just asking for an advice on the route and how to go, what to do. So we just mm-hmm. uh, went for, for a drink. And, you know, as we're all people from the industry, this discussion always escalates and what was happening in the past, what's going on. And if you were to do things differently, uh, what would you do differently? And then what we found out is actually we're very much on the same, you know, we, we have, let's say, the same vision for what we would do if we were to make a game and i knew that i'm not a game designer i'm a producer right so uh, to um, have someone who is very creative and talented in that aspect for me is like an amazing benefit and as he also at some point worked at uga we worked in uh, in the same studio back then i knew that culturally are also a good fit right so that for me was really cool that from the beginning there could be these two people who we, I know, who share my values and mm-hmm. who I could also really say, hey, uh, we want to do the same thing. And they both actually wanted to do it. So that's super, super cool for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a few follow-up questions then regarding first the mission and the values. But let's start here with a mission. As you mentioned, so what is the mission of Playpack? Like, what are you... Oh, on which journey are you and how did you crystallize it, verbalize it? Uh, why is it like one that you specifically took? Yeah, we actually spend uh, quite a lot of time on this and also on aligning, you know, how do we see the company developing in the next few years? That's something I learned by reading books and talking to other CEOs that it's easy to perceive that we all want the same things, but it's actually not necessarily true, right? That you perceive perceive things in the same way mm-hmm. so we did spend uh, quite some time writing down our values for the company and uh, aligning on the goals for the products that we want to have right and when it comes to gaming we uh, we all uh, think that there there is this audience which is somewhat underserved and this is the casual audience and it is underserved in the sense mm-hmm. of uh, social experiences Right. There are many great games for um, for uh, the mm-hmm. casual audience, many great, I don't know, say match-free games. But, you know, if you remember uh, back then uh, when Facebook games were popular, right? when Facebook was big, you really played games with other people. You, you, like, you can connect and bound by playing yeah. a game like Farmville because it's very easy to interact. And it's not only UI, you actually see uh, what's happening in uh, in the farm of another person. And you could perceive it that you have some uh, impact on what they're doing. And nowadays, of course, uh, games like, I don't know, Homescapes have social features, but it's very UI driven. And what we would like to try long term is to 
you know, make people come back to our games, like they would come back to social networks, really that there is some life for them in there. There are people that they're connected with. There are some common goals for the player. Mm-hmm. And I think it could be very, 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 very um, exciting mm-hmm. to see if we can uh, pull it off. We have, of course, to start somewhere, all right? There are now three people building games. I hope that next year uh, we'll already have something to, to show in that direction. And do I understand correctly that you're creating something that doesn't exist yet? So there's not really a, a known <laughs> reference, at least in the mobile market, that is even close to what you are building. Uh, I mean, we started uh, with a core. There are some references mm-hmm. for that. And we should have that the summer in Stockholm, so I could talk more about it then. But directly, I would say there is not yet uh, any reference that we can say, hey, that's exactly what we want to do. Uh, in, in the mobile space, at least. Yeah, well, it's an iterative process, but I understand that you're studying and exploring and testing it out and uh, discovering and iterating. Yeah, but think about it. There are so many people um, who, during this pandemic, discovered gaming for themselves, right? And you could really mm-hmm. see that people wanted to connect because it's lonely, right, to sit uh, alone in your apartment. Yeah. And our life shifted to this digital perspective that, uh, you know, we're not sitting in the same room. We're uh, doing calls, even with our friends, through uh, tools on, on the computer. And I think that's also true for gamers, that there are more uh, people who are willing to explore. And I know games like Animal Crossing, for example, I think really bring uh, some people together. Because it's this really cool interactions that this game uh, enables to, you know, for users to have. And many people who would not play that game uh, before actually did play it because that's how they connected, bound it, even if it was, I don't know, uh, online or in the same apartment mm. playing on, on the sofa, right? That's uh, one, one way to, to build the social ties, right? And I think that's what we would really like to explore. Mm-hmm. I'll be for sure following that <laughs> in official conversation. <laughs> and a little more then about the foundation of the company. There are many ways to do it, uh, you know, like you could bootstrap, uh, build something or uh, start alone and you're already free. And uh, if it's like, okay, to share, you already like started with a bit of funding. So I wanted to understand more what was your thinking process as well here of this choice. Like I said, many other options, but uh, like you specifically, why you went that path, made this decision. Yeah, that's also a very good question. And I think it's a tough choice for everyone, right? I don't think there is like a right way or a wrong way to do it. Mm-hmm. And we were discussing, of course, bootstrapping and just uh, with the three of us building something uh, and seeing how that performs. We could have done it just from our like, uh, basic skill set. And then, though, there there is this problem of uh, timeline, I think. And how fast can you scale? Um, because the games that are built by talented people, right? And if you can get more talented people in your team, I'm not saying like scaling to 100 people, but we, for example, are not artists, right? So we would need to outsource our art for now. And bringing an art lead, or an mm-hmm. art director to the company is a huge benefit, right? That's where I, I questioned whether or not it's good to bootstrap because I believe that talent helps tremendously and then your development timelines shrink because you are simply a, a bigger team that can do more things, right? But then, uh, of course, bringing right talent is very difficult. It's incredibly challenging. You know it. Uh, you've done it, right? I've been there. It's um, there, there are a lot of people 
who uh, have a lot of choice, let's say, right? Because there are so many great gaming companies now. So in order to um, speed up that and to mm. provide them with better offers, right? Because, you know, paying salaries is important. I am very much inclined towards uh, venture capital, right? So that's also we did. That's why we did our first uh, funding round. Plus, it also allows us to verify our ideas faster, right? You know that the market is very competitive and we're also very, uh, like by nature as humans, mm-hmm. we're very subjective. So what we think is cool is not necessary uh, what people would enjoy. So there is a huge benefit of being able to take mm-hmm. uh, a game, even if it's you know, one day of gameplay, a smaller prototype, mm-hmm. and bring it out to the user testing or to um, you know to, to the stores to see how the game actually performs. And I think that's another reasoning that really pushed me towards this uh, funding round. So we could do it fast, and we hope to do it this summer. And therefore verify our ideas faster and not spend, you know, a year uh, or more developing something that actually doesn't work for the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a very good approach as well that you're sharing here. Because in the end, it comes back to why are you doing this, right? And uh, I understand like for what path you're going to is quite ambitious. You're trying to build also something that is unproven. You could be big and you need to... I would say be pragmatic about the timing. So it makes sense now that you explain as well the logic that was behind the decision. And like you said, it's not, there's no right or wrong path. It's like, what is the best for you for what you want, you know? Uh, For people who decide to go on the path of bootstrapping, it's also a motivation of full ownership of a company for as long as you can be. So I think it goes also beyond, you know, just uh, focus on the product or market. So it's, again, depending really on why you're building this company in the first place. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, bootstrapping is a valid path. Also, you, you can get some numbers from there. And mm-hmm. maybe you have a product that is very promising. And then your initial rounds, if you go for funding later, uh, could be better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's an individual decision, right, based on the needs and what you want to do. Yeah. And so far, I'm happy with... With our paths, but I would say that if uh, people are trying to relate, like, what's the best? I think it's really, it's really uh, depending who they are, where they stand financially, logistically, uh, and with their, with their ideas for what they want to build. Mm-hmm. And going then really further, like back into the origin of why you like games so much, can you tell us more why is it like your? We can say it's your vocation. After 13 years, if you haven't left the games. <laughs> So really, what is it uh, with games for you? Like, why? Where, do you know where it's coming from? I have absolutely no idea where it's coming from, but it's always been there, right? Like, it, you know, when when I was a kid, it was always books or, uh, you know, TV shows or playing games. And I think out of all the entertainment, uh, probably games allow you to have the most immersion because you have the environment around you unlike in a book or in a movie is dynamic right so you really can be inside of that world and since i was a teenager i spent all my pocket money on this you know back then it was magazines and i was really interested in how games are made but i never thought that it's possible to have a career in games right so my education has nothing to do with that and i discovered that you know Actually, it is possible to make games mm-hmm. by chance already when I graduated. I was super lucky that I did that because that was uh, my passion. But 
I always, you know, followed the industry, read the magazines. I had some freelance jobs as a teenager to write articles or to do some like shitty web designs. And when I joined the industry, I actually saw how um, this magic happens and that games are made by real mm-hmm. human beings and that uh, you can be one of them. And uh, slowly I could also see that there are different careers that one can take in the industry. For example, all my first company was in localization. I could have taken that path. For me, it's more interesting to create things. So I also had the chance like then in Russia to join great companies who made the uh, first day. It was at Niva, which made huge MMOs. So it was a really proper big project that lasted for, I think that game lasted for like five years in development, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. And then later on, um, the mobile industry just came to be in the shape that we know it now. It was uh, free to play now. I also was super lucky that I got to see that and how, uh, pretty much how how uh, uh, free to play developed to what it is now. I do not want to leave, right? It's very challenging. I know that some people say making games is really tough and it's easy to burn out because we get emotionally attached, I think, to, to what we create. But for me, it works and I'm very happy and I hope I continue that way. I truly believe that as long as uh people like entertainment when games will exist right it's uh, just another medium of entertainment like there are movies or listening to music exactly and now it's more entwined right you can see that netflix is already mm. buying licenses for something like dota which is essentially uh, gaming uh, gaming um, like pure gaming and i think the, the more uh, you know the more time would pass the more these industries would be kind of going along together yeah Or when you see concert of a super big artist in a game, this is a different world. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing more of that. But yeah, it's exciting. Uh, games have as been evolving very fast. And more to come, you know, we see in a decade. And back to then the values, because you mentioned about them as well. So I was uh, curious, like, how uh, much clarity do you have on your own personal values like ways of working or being with others because you talked about like how you connected with the co-founders and also what then became the values of your company yeah as i said that's one thing that was very important for us from the beginning and uh, Mm -hmm. I, i could see that not talking about values and what you want to be can lead to mistakes right when i was at Petromax, for example my previous work workplace I, I did not really uh, pay too much attention to that and only later on as a team we have developed them but maybe um, we could have been faster and more aligned if we actually put more effort to that from the scratch but I honestly um, take it on myself because I had no idea back then how important it is and I think of course we all have our personal values and in a way if you're a founder your personal values would be aligned with the values of your company because otherwise you're not who you are and uh, that's the worst thing that can happen right the important part is to be yourself and to bring your best to uh, what you're doing and of course there are problems sometimes but um, listening to feedback can solve that so uh, for me mm-hmm. one as i said very important thing is ownership right being able to um, to see the results of my work And being able to see that something that I'm doing uh, is interesting for other people, whether it's players or my colleagues. So that is also, in a way, reflected in our company values, right? So we 
define providers for themselves and ownership is one of them. And the way we uh, we did it, we actually did it in the classic brainstorm manner of, I don't know, uh, of a games company where we you know, try to define w what values would we have. And we are super aligned on those, right? And then we sat down and had a conversation of what does ownership actually mean when you... Uh, you have uh, you have a studio and you have a game and you have uh, you know to run the company and for us that particular one is probably the most crucial because we are very small so all the uh, roles that we have they are there, there's a lot of stuff to do for each one of them and being able to make independent decisions and having this freedom of making these decisions is ownership right as well as uh, ownership comes with responsibility, so you are in a way accountable for what you do, in a good way, right? Of course, no one is gonna blame you for something, but uh, being able to follow up on issues and really push things forward is something that is very important for us. So, for example, if I don't know Rafa was working on, on design specification for uh, for something, I know for sure that I don't have to look there and like. Uh, in any way because uh, he, he's going to do it, he's going to ask for feedback and he's going to push it forward and mm -hmm. I would love to see that in everyone who joins us, right? That they really take responsibility and uh, they really own the things that they're working on and they constantly push for this perfection, making things better and uh, do not hesitate to say, hey, that's what I want to do. And yeah, in, another thing, of course, is at least for me, it is transparency. I think it's important to uh, understand clearly where one stands. And that also is true for the company. You cannot be efficient if you're blind. Right? There is always uh, things that that define the performance of a game or of a company, numbers, you know, financial reports, and also just being transparent of everything that happens on the daily basis. For example, if I show up to our podcast grumpy and angry and start saying things without any explanation why, uh, you would not know what's going on and maybe you would perceive me differently. But if I had a, a tough night and maybe I'm not feeling well or something happened in my personal life and I was transparent always about this, then you would have already background to what mm -hmm. is going on. And I think that's super crucial. Right. And another thing about games, and for me, that's also very, very important, is that games are fun to build, right? Like we're in this industry, not because we want to suffer mm -hmm. from uh, difficult user acquisition campaigns or struggle with bugs, but because it's cool to make games and bringing fun to work in any form uh, that works, it's, it's really cool. So I think not forgetting uh, why we're here and trying to to push for you know some little extras because it's really cool and it's really fun uh, that's also what uh, what we what we value a lot right and then the, the last thing is at least that is written in our company values is candor right you have to be honest that is very important i don't like maybe it's also my russian background that we're very direct and we don't like to go around the topic so we just uh, say things as they are, but I think it is important to be honest. And honesty means trust, right? And trust can get you very, very far in life. Yeah. Well, I see some overlap as well in the things you have mentioned, in the things I believe. But that's very good that you have clarity on this because uh, I see as well, like you sharing it in this podcast today, it allows as well to communicate with uh, future, you know, people who would join you or even talking to investors or any anybody who would uh, interact with you 
So it's really nice, like that level of clarity you have on this and why, and this is very important to you. Thank you. Then this value, of course, it's good to have clarity on them. And uh, as you said, also support like some moments of decisions. So I I wanted to ask you if recently, especially as a CEO, I'm sure you have a lot of decisions to make now with a company. How the, What are your guiding principles to make hard decisions and sharing maybe a concrete example that happened recently that where you had to make a hard decision? Well, that's a that's a tough uh, tough question to answer. Uh, I'm very just I'm a very rational person. That's I think uh, I'm very calm and I like to think uh, to think things through. So sometimes it mm-hmm. can take me more uh, time than necessary to make a certain decision. But I really like to wait my options and see what's the optimal path. And this this word optimal probably is also can describe the process of my decision making, right? Like what is the uh, what I would believe is the best path for for a goal. And it is tricky to say how would I make a decision about something. But I think personally, I'm a little bit of an achiever. Uh, if you think of gaming personalities, at least, right? I like seeing things done, right? So I like this completion. And if I set my mind on something, like let's build a company, then, okay, what's the most optimal path for me to to build a company that would reflect my uh, personal situation at the moment? And also us uh, having this company, not in in half a year, but sooner. And... and, uh, yeah, I think that's very, very broad uh, description on how how to how to decide on something. But it's really how I work. Right, just wait all the options, see the optimal one. If uncertain, then talk to people. Mm-hmm. And uh, luckily, that's also why I didn't want to do it alone. That I have to people who really would influence my opinion. And it's important that we are free. We always have, you know, one um, deciding vote. And uh, with mm-hmm. my own uh, my own thoughts and with the advice of people who are smarter or more knowledgeable than me, yeah, of course I uh, I can make something happen. And in regards to your question about the decision uh, that a CEO should take, like, luckily so far uh, I'm a very young CEO. I've been at this for about two months now, and there were not that many uh, tough decisions. But I think the big one uh, is the one that we just were talking about a few minutes ago how do you start a company do you take uh, do you do a proper investment round do you start on your own and i think that's my thought process there is what would i want to achieve in let's say a year from now would i uh, want to have a game life with a bigger team or would i want to still be like experimenting and trying things out on our own and it was clear for me that speed is important in game development so i chose that uh, that path mm-hmm. yeah and it was indeed uh, an important decision you made uh, one that i would say affects quite uh, the future of the company so absolutely i can see then this rational process that has been used to make this decision yeah, yeah. It, it's difficult, I agree. And it's like you're giving away part of your own, I don't know, baby. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, I think so far I'm happy with that. And I hope that uh, if we talk in a year, I'll say the same. Mm-hmm. Only time and experience will tell, right? It's uh, part of a process. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And then 
also about the topic of diversity and inclusion, especially, yes, it's awesome to have another female CEO. I wanted to hear your thoughts about how you personally approach it, what's your position about it, if, if there's any tech as well, like as a company you have about it. Yeah, we had a little conversation about this uh, recently, right? And I think mm -hmm. it's a tough challenge, of course, for every company. And the most important thing is to be honest and, um, let's say, equal when you hire. Maybe for us, it's a little bit easier to push for diversity because, you know, as women, we can, at least in that way, be an example for someone else. And my former team at Tethermax could be uh, a good way to see that, a good example, let's say, because there there are quite a few uh, female uh, employees that we have there. And I think there there is this natural connection that you can have by default from just being a woman in gaming. And I think for myself, I always saw it as, as a benefit, right? Unlike um, other people. And, you know, it is always important to stand out a little bit, right? Because when you're memorable, you, of course, it's just easier maybe to network or to to be remembered for something and it's a weird way to say it. I actually don't, don't really like how it sounds mm -hmm. but for me personally being a woman uh, in, in the industry was always uh, a plus and I also do not have this fear because I had good examples throughout my career to look at for example a CEO at Game Insight is well back then was was um, Alisa, right? Uh, she also is um, female, same as we. And I think this, you know, confidence in, in yourself, right? That you, you as also as a female leader project and I guess same can be said about me, can bring more people in, in the industry because they see this real life examples that uh, hold very kind of high positions in the industry and they could relate to us being, you know, CEOs and product leads and head of marketing and heads of engineering. And I think it's great because if, if you see that someone else could make it, maybe uh, your own confidence can also boost and you would not question, uh, should I, should I not join this industry and rather just go for it. And also, I think an anecdote we can talk about was how you raise funds, right? Because, um, I have heard, of course, different experiences, and they are true where for female founders, it could be really difficult to raise funds, you know, for your company. And I think also there's a mix probably of background and experience, because if uh, they're young female founders, they have, haven't had a lot of experience, it's even harder. But uh, here, in your case, uh, if you could share more, how has been your experience raising funds? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would not say that, you know, um, at least I never thought of it this way, that there is a difference if you're a female founder or if you're a male founder or if you identify differently. Uh, I think what matters is the team, the track record, and what you do actually, uh, you know, connects with uh, people who would want to be your potential investors. And as you know, my experience in the industry is quite extensive. And um, 
also my co-founders are really great people that I'm very happy to be with. We make a very strong team, right? So we make a very strong case for someone uh, who is investing in gaming. So uh, that's something that I would also say it is a little mm -hmm. bit of a plus um, being a female founder now, because apart from um, traditional funds, if I wanted to, I could go to people who support specifically women uh, in, in tech, right? And maybe get uh, some extra round out of that. I do not need to do it because I'm very happy with uh, our current situation, but I would recommend everyone to think of it this way, right? That what is important is that you're building something that matters with people who you really trust and uh, therefore you make a great team. And then if you can explain and show clearly and thoughtfully that um, your idea is worth it, that you know what you're doing, then this whole process, of course, makes, you know, it's it's much easier. Yeah, agreed. And it's good also to remind that, uh, yeah, there are some situations where it's not always a challenge. And uh, I think here a big factor is, of course, the team and in your case, the experience. So it doesn't matter so much like talking about these differences and um also maybe encourage just more women to just try you know probably many have a lot of experience and maybe maybe trying again today might be different you know uh, things are evolving fast so you're an example where it was not really a problem to raise funds uh, quickly i know because we started to talk about it and then second time we talked about it it was it already happened <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is amazing. I mean, the market uh, mm -hmm. is very big now for games and uh, there are a lot of opportunities. Uh, but of course, it's very important that uh, there is clarity on why uh, you're raising and uh, on your, you know, team setup goals, timelines and the end product. And if anything, also say we're making casual games, right? And most um, of our uh, audience is likely it's likely going to be women and it helps me right mm. it helps me to have uh, somewhat of a better judgment from time to time on what the audience might like just because i'm part of this audience yeah. and i do enjoy casual games right so in a way it's great that you're we're so I'm building games for people like myself uh, though i'm not exactly of course the player like a typical player as i said before it's very important to verify that Uh, what uh, you're building actually works for the audience, but at least I can see that that really helps me sometimes in, in my decision-making. Mm. At least to be a voice, to be represented in the design discussions, you know, that doesn't go too much on one end. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, design or art choice sometimes, yeah. And uh, in your position as the CEO, So I was curious, like, how you organize yourself and uh, with, uh, like, the other co-founders? What's your daily or weekly uh, routine look like? What are you focusing on at the moment? Yeah, we are, before we were focusing on building the company and it's a lot of legal questions. Uh, but now what we want is to have our first game shipped as soon as possible. And we really are lucky because our roles don't overlap so much. And uh, Hendrik, as a CTO, of course, covers everything that is writing code, uh, looking for engineers to uh, join us, I mean, interviewing them in this case, and defining, you know, the tech stack, the vision, the um, architecture, and just coding features that a game needs to run. 
uh, Raphael is the creative read, right? So for him, what a game would look like is probably the primary uh, question, but he also really helps me sometimes with the vision of uh, for the company and, you know, just connecting to people. And what I try to do is also help them, right, build a product. But also I think my primary responsibility as a CEO would be that the team is happy and everything runs smoothly so they don't have to think about any bureaucratic processes or you know getting the right hardware right software on mm-hmm. uh, at the right time uh, and that they always have access to information that they need for example where do we stand financially what are the plans for the future and so on and so forth so we really kind of split our roles in this respective uh, branches and that helps tremendously because that gives us a lot of speed right and i was talking about ownership before and i think that kind of is how uh, this value is reflected in our current setup and it's also really cool to be you know just three people it's uh, a lot of fun it's super smooth the communication is really easy there are, um you know we use discord for you know just jumping in a meeting mm-hmm. on the short term notice and uh super flexible on time and we hope to keep that right that um, we are very very uh, much independent as individuals but also as a unit that then comes together and pushes us forward yeah it's very special times when you're as few people i remember the early phase and yeah yeah. but be aware it can grow fast as well if things go well you know (laughs) well i will be very happy to you know Uh, (laughs) yeah that's the phase as well we are in so it's uh fun it's um new page each time but yeah and uh, overall more than not just as a ceo but we talked also about the games working on games is tough and i'm pretty sure as well you've been through quite difficult situation stress or even burnout and how what are your things you do to just cope with it overcome it and you know move forward <laughs> yeah i uh I think there are really two things in my life that help me to cope with stress. As you know, I'm a cyclist. I cycle, mm-hmm. uh, do cycle touring, and that for me is my own way to meditate. You know, just like spinning pedals and watching the ground uh, pass by. I found it very relaxing, and one thing that really works for for me. And as you know, sports also do help with uh, stress and mental health, and just chemically, right? And the other thing is that I'm super lucky to have great people around me and, uh, you know, this network of friends who in difficult times really, really help and also who just are great to talk to every day and learning new things is something I like. And uh, from great people around, I get a lot of support, a lot of new things to do together, a lot of just, you know, good times, whether it's uh, going to a barbecue, flying somewhere or... uh, playing some I don't know, PlayStation game on the sofa, that's always really great. Yeah. And you mentioned like two things here, like sport definitely helps you, you know, balance a bit with uh, these things that happen at work. And yeah, uh, social connections, like uh, moving away of the brain of the work and just uh, enjoying a bit of some social time. But it's good, to, you know, where you go to when it starts to hit a bit hard. Uh, because it's part of a game, working uh, in game development. Absolutely. But especially now that we're all remote and uh, we're constantly in front of the computer, I think uh, being able to go outside, whether for 
exercising or for meeting people in real life, I see so much more value now than maybe if we talked two years ago. Just say it's normal, and no, 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 no that's that's really really important. Agreed. Okay, then we reach also the end of the discussion today. And to wrap up the discussion, I always have these three questions for all my guests. So my first one is, what are the next big steps for your studio personally? And uh, anything we or I can do to help? Sure. We, As I said, we are super brand new, born, shiny, exciting studio. And try to, uh, we work really hard, to be honest, to uh, have our game live uh, soft launch this summer. And uh, we're looking for one more team member. That was a crazy step recently for us. We hired uh, the first person. Uh, they're going to join us in July. But there is mm -hmm. one um, person that we're still looking for. If you want, you can go to tag.games and look up the, uh, the job descriptions, one uh, engineer. And uh, once we have that covered and like, set up and ready to go, and I hope at the rocket speed. Yeah, so that's one thing that I, of course, tell everyone, you know, how it is in the industry, spread the news, hey, uh, looking for one team member. And I hope we're cool people to work with. Certainly mm. with a lot of experience in the industry. Yeah. And that's the point of the podcast. So people get to know you a little better and not just, you know, the public face on the LinkedIn or the website. And the second question, who inspired you for your journey to be in gaming or just personally? Yeah, uh, there are many great people in the industry who I would say can be good role models. Right? I, for example, Jens, the former CEO of Uga, he think, did a fantastic mm -hmm. job building a company. That's how I know a lot of people and that's how we also met. And I'm amazed like how much the Uga culture still mm -hmm. persists. In uh, you know at least in, inside of me, but um, I would not say that I have really a role model in the industry. Uh, but there is one thing that um, uh, I would say that for for myself the role model would be a lady that's an Irish lady uh, called uh, Darla Murphy, and she uh, did and wrote a book about what I think is unbelievable. And uh, after reading this book, mm -hmm. I. I think uh, I, I saw that um, a woman, a person can achieve a lot of things in their life just by hard will. And um, the book is called uh, Full Tilt. And she, she is a cyclist. She's a journalist. She's a cyclist. And what she did is that I think 1963, she cycled from her house in Ireland to Nepal mm -hmm. alone on, on a single, well, we now call it single speed bike, but... Uh, Back then, it was just a bike, right? So imagine, oh, uh, wow. so many years ago, without any communication, it was just two bags in the back of her bike, alone through the winter in Turkey, through Persia back then, right, through Afghanistan, to Nepal. Uh, she she wrote a book about it. It's unbelievable. She describes that she had a, a gun with six bullets in it and how she encounters wolves in the frozen mountains I think somewhere in Bulgaria, how she cuts her hair in Afghanistan or Persia. So people are not surprised that a woman is cycling and they think uh, that, you know, that's more, more ambiguous. And she, if you just read her uh, biography, you would see that she lives a very nice and happy life. And this for me, that, that's, if I was to say, hey, that's a role model, I, I would say that she's mine. She sounds super impressive. I will check it out. 
because uh, sounds uh... yeah absolutely you should it's it's a great book she's uh, very funny but uh, behind this humor uh, i guess one can see real challenges that she had to overcome and my last question if you had one thing you wish to change right now in the industry what would it be <laughs> oh man that's super super tough <laughs> uh you know that the industry is very big right it's enormous and there is a lot of competition in the industry because we have limited markets place, uh, places to mm. uh, publish our games and there are a lot of great developers in great games that just go unnoticed because people cannot uh, discover them right and marketing is very tough being discovered is incredibly difficult so if i could change something right if i had a magic wand that i could do anything i would change the way that people uh, discover games so just having develop like if developers had uh, more options right or more possibilities to reach to their uh, target audience i think that would be a tremendous impact on the industry because otherwise it's just getting more and more difficult thousands of apps get published every day on mobile platforms and you know how tough it is to stand out from this crowd and uh, even for big companies with money and experience uh, behind their backs it's very difficult it's a big challenge it often kills products that people enjoy and for smaller studios that's even uh, a bigger challenge so if i could change something i think that would be uh, one thing that i would be very happy to see different i have no idea how but uh, it would be great just to have more possibilities for users for players for people who would enjoy what we make to actually see it and enjoy it yeah it's one of the biggest challenge of the game industry being seen i think many games are great but we probably don't even know about and uh, that's really tough when you get started absolutely well thank you tatiana that's the end for today and uh, thanks for being on the podcast I wish you good luck for the studio and your hire and uh, looking forward to seeing what you launch in the summer. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me and it was really a pleasure uh, to talk to you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this new episode of Raise and Play podcast. If you enjoyed the content and want to support what we're doing, rate and review the podcast, spread the word about it. If you'd like to contribute to the change too, reach out to me on LinkedIn for a collaboration. You'll find all the rest of the content on riseandplay.io, including my free masterclass on conscious leadership. Until the next time, 